Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's great books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 200 of the great books over the next 10 years and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each of the great books. Today, I'm going to cover the Homeric Hymns. This is book 42 from my 2023 reading list, and it's book eight on my great books list. Well, I didn't initially have this on my list. I had the Iliad and the Odyssey, of course, and I kept seeing the Homeric Hymns pop up in different discussions about the Greek gods, in different footnotes, and different things like that. And so I just thought, well, I, let me let me just add this in at the end after I finish the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I'm really glad that I did. Uh, let's let's just take a look at the the title really quick. The Homeric Hymns, Homeric meaning of Homer, not necessarily by Homer. So the consensus is that Homer probably did not write these hymns, but they were they were kind of of Homer or uh, um, in the style of Homer. I, I, I that what comes to my mind is. Uh, the Renaissance time where, where you had these painters like Leonardo and, and Michelangelo and, and paintings would come out of their kind of their studio, uh, for lack of a better word, but just that maybe they're training other, other students, other painters on how to paint. And so a painting would kind of come out of that studio, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be by Leonardo, but he might've touched some parts up. He, he was teaching the person how to to, to do the different style of painting. So you can see the influence of the, the master, uh, but they it may not have been by the master himself. Uh, but, the, but Thucydides does attribute one of the verses uh, in the hymn to Apollo to Homer. So there's debate, but, uh, but it probably he didn't write these, or if he did, there were, there were other people writing with him, or they were just kind of in the style of, of Homer. So that's the first part, the Homeric hymns, Homeric. Uh, the second part, hymns, and hymns are just, they're poems to honor the gods. And so the, the structure of this book is that you've got a, a series of hymns that are to the different gods. And there are, let's see, there are 33 total hymns, and some of them are to the same god. So there's two to Aphrodite, or actually three to Aphrodite. Uh, there, there's some to Demeter, Apollo, uh, Ares, Athena, Hera, the Demeter, the different, the different gods. And they're kind of, they're just a series of of stories, they'll, they'll, they'll start out with uh, praise to the God and then and then talk about some sort of aspect of the God. Some are quite short, and then others are are multiple pages. But the the book in total is just ninety two pages, so it's a pretty quick quick read. On the Homeric side of things as well, here's one other part that um, Michael Cruden in the introduction, he, he highlights, and I'm going to quote directly here. Although the gods play a major part in the Iliad and Odyssey, the epic's main focus is on the mortal heroes and their unfolding destinies. In the hymns, the human characters are mere bit players in a drama that re- re- redounds to the gods' greater glory. End quote. So in the Iliad and the Odyssey, the main focus is on humans and the gods, you know, kind of weave their way in and, and influence things and that sort of thing. But in the hymns here, the focus is on the gods and then the, the humans are kind of playing the, the bit role in, in, in these. So that's, that's kind of the difference uh, in, in this set. However, it's interesting to note that, it's, it, that in the hymn to Demeter, 
where Demeter is the god of of grain and the god of of food, uh, Demeter withdraws for a period of time, and there and there is famine, and we learn why in, in the in the hymn to Demeter. But there there's famine, and there uh, the, as part of that people are not able to eat. So that's the human element. But as this is a book focused on the gods, the gods are not getting their offerings because people don't have food to offer to the gods. And so that becomes a problem. And that reminded me a lot of of Gilgamesh in the Epic of Gilgamesh, where the the gods, they destroy humankind with with the flood, with the, the deluge. And all of a sudden, the gods are thinking, hey, wait, 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 why? Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do? Now we can't get our sacrifices. Now we can't get our offerings. Uh, how are we going to get what we need? And so there, there is this element of gods needing the humans and humans needing the gods. There's this, this reciprocity there. And, and so that comes through, even though the, the main focus here is on, on the gods. So I, I really wish I would have read this before I, I dove into the Iliad in the Odyssey, because you're, you're learning about how the gods are related to one another. So perhaps the, who the father and the mother are of another God. And, and that all plays a role. So if, if one God is the father or the mother of another God, and they have certain attributes and aspects, uh, there's, there's, there's partly an idea there that the, the child would have some of those same things. And it just, it really helps with the understanding because in the Iliad, in the Odyssey, you're, you're seeing these gods pop up all, all over the place. And to, to kind of understand the, the deeper story, uh, to know what their powers are, to know the conversations that they've had, the other gods that they've interacted with, it, it, it just, you don't need it, but it sure enhances the reading of those stories. And after, after the Iliad and the Odyssey, I'm going to be getting into the Greek tragedies, the comedies, and, and other works. And I think just having that knowledge at the beginning would, would be very helpful. Uh, I did read some of the stories about the gods before Iliad and the Odyssey, and, and I'm thankful I did I did that. But uh, having read the Homeric hymns before, that, that would have been even better. So this book would pair very well with Hesiod's Theogony, because Theogony is kind of the how the gods came about, and then Edith Hamilton's Mythology. So the three of these books would be a power punch, and I would suggest if, if you're going to get into the Greek the Greek literature, uh, the epics, the tragedies, and the comedies, to start off with Hesiod's Theogony, go into the Homeric hymns, and then also uh, go into Edith Hamilton's mythology. And the only reason I suggest Edith, Edith, Hamil- Edith Hamilton's mythology, which came out in 19, 1942, the only reason I suggest that is because she kind of, she takes all the stories from all the sources and then combines them into one place. Whereas uh, even with Hesiod's Theogony and even with the Homeric hymns, you're, you're getting, you're getting parts of stories uh, where, where Edith Hamilton kind of combines the entire story of, of what we have. For, for an initial reaction, I, I loved this book. I'm really glad that I read it. I did have to start over. So I started reading it and I got to like the fourth hymn third or fourth hymn. And I just realized that I wasn't connecting with it. I wasn't understanding what was happening. And I was, I was kind of just reading through it to, 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 to mark it off the list, to check it off that I had, that I had read it. And 
I'm, I'm trying not to do that. And that, that it's not helpful to me. It's not helpful to you. If I'm telling you about the book, I, I really want to understand these books and I, I want them, I want them to sink in deep into me where I remember them. And, you know, it's not just a, a thing of, of checking it off a list or something. So I got to the third or fourth hymn and I just realized I was not tracking with it. And so I, I, I started the entire book over and on that when I started it over, one thing I did is I followed along in the back of the books. There's this huge section of notes. And these are explanatory notes of, of what you're reading. And the first time through, I was just trying to read read through it and, and see if I could pick it up. And, and I couldn't. So the second time I, I consulted those notes, there in the version I read, there's not like a, a, a note or a, a letter or something that tells you, hey, there's a note to this, but you just kind of have to follow in the back. And there might be like an introduction to that hymn to, to give you some insight. And then it'll show like, hey, on this line, when they say this, this is what this means, or this is, you know, some of the backstory. That was extremely helpful. So if, if you do get the Homeric hymns, um, check out those notes because that helped me to understand it helped me to track and then I would read the note in the back and then I would kind of write what I just learned within the hymn itself and now I can look back at the hymns hymns and just kind of get the 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 bigger story there but holy cow like after after starting the book over and then and then really understanding it the the second time through it was such a joy and the the it, it was a reward to to have done that and, and not to just, you know, catch a little bit of it, but to really spend a lot of time on it, uh, reread it, like get get to know it well. It, it was very valuable to do that. So uh, please do that if you, if you read this. The version that I got was the Oxford World's Classics. It's a paperback and it, it was a translation by Michael Cruden. He also did the introduction and the explanatory notes at the end of it. So um yeah, it just uh, it's like a thirteen dollar book, and it was it it was great. I, I loved I loved it. For reading stats, it took me four days to read it. I read it between November fifteen and eighteen, so there are ninety two pages with the with uh, without the notes. If you add the notes in, there's one hundred and forty six total pages. It took me uh, a little under five hours to read the book. So for the rest of this episode, I'll have two more segments. In segment two, the next segment, I'll cover three things that I really enjoyed about the Homeric hymns. And then in segment three, I'll cover the one thing, the one thing that I cannot get out of my head that I'm still thinking about after having read the Homeric hymns. Let me just read one part of hymn number two to Demeter. This is just after the the famine caused by Demeter just uh, being in deep sorrow for her daughter being abducted into Hades. And so um, uh, Zeus sends a god to try to get her to get the, to get, to stop the famine. And so here, here we get, we enter at this point here. Make grow for humans the harvest that bears the nurture of life. In this way she spoke and fair crowned Demeter did not disobey. But sent up from the clod-rich plowland the harvest without delay, and all broad earth was burdened with leaves and blossoms weight. And I'll stop stop reading there. I just love that idea. So once once everything started growing again, all broad earth was burdened with leaves and blossoms weight. You just think of the weight of like leaves and blossoms of, of these trees that started growing again. Uh, it's just 
a lot of beautiful pictures in, in this book and in the writing. I just, I loved it. So here are three things that, uh, that I, that I enjoyed in the Homeric hymns. And I want to start off just by, um, if, if I were to pick a favorite God out of, out of the mix, I, th- I think it would be Hermes. And Hermes is the God of thieves. He is the speedy messenger. He creates the liar. He is a trickster. And in, in this, the hymn number four to, to Hermes, we learn about his interactions with Apollo, where on Hermes' second day of life, he steals the cattle from Apollo. And Apollo takes him to court before Zeus. And, uh, and Hermes just, he, at, even at two days old, can, can give his own account for, for what happened. He can lie. He, he can trick. And, uh, it, it's just, it's a really funny story. Um, but Her, um, Hermes also creates the lyre, the, the stringed instrument, and he makes it out of a tortoise shell and he makes this seven stringed beautiful instruments and he ends up giving it to, giving it to Apollo. And, and we know Apollo as, as, uh, the, a player of the lyre as well, but this unites Apollo and, and Hermes. Even after that, that bad start with with Hermes uh, stealing his his cows, but um, Hermes also discovers fire sticks. So he doesn't discover fire, but he he discovers fire sticks, a, a way to 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 make fire. And there's just all these different aspects of Hermes. But but Hermes shows up in in the Iliad and the Odyssey, and and in different, different ways. And so it's just one of those things where learning some of the, this backstory, learning, uh, learning about him, uh, Hermes is, is the God that, that transports people to Hades, to the, to the, to the spirit world after, after someone dies. And, but just to, to know some of that backstory, this is the, just the kind of fun thing that, that you learn in the Homeric hymns. Uh, second thing that, that I, I liked was the next hymn, hymn number five to Aphrodite. And so Aphrodite is the God of, of love. And, uh, she's often called the lover of smiles. So just this, this, this God that, that gives joy and you, you are, uh, or Aphrodite is, is known as being the God that, that no one can, no one can fight against. Uh, actually the, the hymn does start off naming three gods that, that Aphrodite cannot subdue. But other than that, everyone else, gods, humans can fall for the God of love, can fall for, for the love, the love potion. They can, they can fall in love. And I, I just, I, I love that idea. I love thinking of, of, of it in that way. I mean, like whether it's you, you yourself or, or when you watch people fall in love, like there is that, this aspect of, they just, they lose, they lose control. Like they, they, it's like, they're not, they're not even acting of their own volition anymore. It's just they're they've been taken over by, by something. And, and so just that picture of, of Aphrodite in, in love, uh, it's just, it's just fun to think about. But in, in this hymn to Aphrodite there, the, the story is that, um, Aphrodite can always have other gods fall in love with humans, but, but Aphrodite kind of prides herself on not ever falling in love with a human. But Zeus intervenes and it says this, but Zeus put the sweet desire even in Aphrodite's heart that she be joined together in love with a mortal man. So Zeus puts sweet desire for Anchises within her heart, end quote. So she falls for a human and they have a child whose name is Aeneas. 
and Aeneas, the the Aeneid by Virgil, that that is about Aeneas, and so becomes quite a famous child. Aphrodite is so humiliated that she fell in love with this human that she doesn't even want people to know. So if you want to, you know, thwart Aphrodite in your life, you can tell people that she is the mother of Aeneas and that we have the Aeneid because of her. <laughs> so that these are, again, just, just funny stories, funny and, and good to know, you know, like uh, just when you, when you come across Aeneas's name, which he pops up in the Iliad, uh, it, it's, it's, it's fun to know that background in that he is, he's half immortal. He's, he's the child of Aphrodite and a human father. All right. The third thing that I, that I really enjoyed in the Homeric hymns was the part, and it's just kind of a mention in one of the hymns, but about Nemozine, which is the God of memory, but is also the mother of the muses. And so it is the god, the goddess that is vital to the poets. And so that's just another one of the ideas that you get in the book here. But uh, what's what's interesting about that is that just that idea the, that the muses, the mother of the muses, is memory. So if you think of that just in a, in a lineage part, to have the muses to the muses inspire the songs they inspire the poets in in these epics in these 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 plays they they are the inspiration but that inspiration the mother of that inspiration is memory and and you see that in in the poets when uh, we we come across the poets like in the odyssey that there's a memory aspect of that where they're they're sharing a memory of these these stories these poets are sharing these epic stories so there's this memory aspect of that but it's just neat to think about that as well of the muses the inspiration the beautiful poetry the things that just rend men's and women's hearts it is the the mother of that is memory it's kind of a fun, fun thing to think about. So those are the three things. Next, I'll get into the one thing that, that stuck out above all the rest. All right, here is the one thing, my one key takeaway, what I'm still thinking about after reading the Homeric hymns. And it has to deal with music, and it's from my favorite gods hymn, Hermes, uh, hymn number four. And Hermes is playing the lyre. And let me just read a few parts here. By string the lyre, which he took on his left, beneath his hand, it made an astonishing sound. And Phoebus Apollo laughed for joy. The lovely burst of heavenly music passed through his mind. And while he listened, sweet longing seized him at heart. Of his voice was lovely, bringing to pass the immortal gods and shadowy earth. In his song, recounting how they first were born, and how each obtained his share, of the gods he first honored in song, Nemozine, mother of the muses. And I'll stop the quote there, uh, and then continue on on the next page. And this is Apollo speaking. Um, the immortal... Of the immortals or mortal men who gave you the marvelous gift and revealed to you heavenly song. For with wonder my ears are filled at this sound for the first time uttered that never has yet, I declare. End quote. And that's Apollo asking Hermes, did did you have this skill since you were a kid, or did the did the did the gods give give you these heavenly songs and, and were they revealed to you? And uh so that that's my one thing. That's that's the the idea, and, and I saw this come across in the Iliad and the Odyssey as well, where Homer himself, kind of at the beginning of each of the 
of the epics is he's he's asking the muses to to sing through him so so he's kind of a, a receptor and just he's he's sharing what he's getting and and that's a similar idea here to what apollo is asking hermes you know hermes where where did you get this was this revealed were these songs revealed to you from heaven and and it's this idea that the music is revealed from heaven that 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 the uh, Hermes in this case with, with his lyre is, is receiving and then just kind of sharing what's coming through him. And he, he's not sitting there creating something. He's not sitting down to, to write this song and then play it, but he's receiving it and, and giving it freely. And I like that idea. I hear that idea a lot, actually. Like, uh, there's a, a famous rapper who he says when he goes into the studio, he says he leaves the door of the studio cracked open to let God in. Uh, just this idea. Uh, I, I heard something similar from uh, Chris Martin of Coldplay, where he, he talks about the, the idea of fishing and and um, just kind of pulling. You never know what what what's going to pull up. And and but just this idea, and, and I hear it a lot from from musicians of not knowing what's coming. There, there's there's not necessarily this idea of sitting down and creating something but uh, uh, instead receiving something so it was it was cool to to see this idea especially where it, it's being spoken of as the creation of the lyre and um in in the stringed instrument and here right away you have this idea of of the musician the poet being the receiver uh, uh, instead of the creator that's my one thing for the Homeric hymns. Um, I do suggest that you read this. And there, there are a few reasons why. One is just the entertainment value. It's it's very entertaining. You may need to kind of take it slow and just, if, if you're like me, just even reread it just to, to get to get into the to the writing style and, uh, you know, consult the notes at the back and that sort of thing. But once you get into these stories, they are, they are highly entertaining. But... Additionally, if you ever walk into a museum, you are going to see these stories in a lot of the paintings. And it is just really neat to know those stories. And so when you're looking at these paintings to, to know the, the background of, of what's, what's being shown in these paintings. And then for a third reason is you just, you will understand the Greek myths at a much deeper level if you have if you do some of this groundwork at the beginning. So if you read the Homeric hymns, if you read Theogony by Hesiod, if you read Mythology by Edith Hamilton, these books will will just give you a broader scope, a broader understanding that will the, the rewards will be great as you then go into the Homeric epics or the tragedies or the comedies and other Greek literature. But yeah, do, do check out those footnotes if, if you're reading it. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's eric with a K, so E-R-I-K at booksoftitans.com. If you have some other insight on the Homeric hymns, I would love to hear that. You can follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter. And please go to booksoftitans.com. I will have my 2024 reading list Show, uh, I'm going to share that very soon here. So uh, that'll be up pretty soon. But I just have a lot of resources on that website to help you find the best books, uh, some ideas on how to create a reading list of your own. So until then, keep reading, keep learning and keep listening. I'm out. I'm out.